is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily. Keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. Hello and welcome to... I said weirdly, wasn't it? I'm Jim. Welcome to Football Social Daily for a Tuesday with a very strange start. It might be a little bit of a strange podcast today. I'm recording at home and I'm currently having the roof ripped off my house. So if you hear a little bit of banging and crashing, it's not Nottingham Forest season falling down around their ears. It is just a bit of building work that I've got going on at the moment. But we'll struggle on through today's Football Social Daily pod as best we can. And we will, of course, talk about last night's game. Forest versus Leicester City. It was suggested that whichever manager lose that game was going to face the sack. Steve Cooper holding on to his job for now after Forrest went down 4-0 to Leicester. We'll get into that shortly on Football Social Daily. We're also going to look ahead to tonight's European games. Liverpool and Spurs both in Champions League action as the fixtures come thick and fast at the moment. And we're going to talk about, again, the future of Cristiano Ronaldo. The circus around Ronaldo continues. He didn't play for Manchester United in the derby at the weekend as, according to Ten Hag, mark of respect to his glittering career. But the rumours are the Portuguese is looking for a way out of Old Trafford this winter. We'll talk about that shortly on Football Social Daily as well. Alongside me on the podcast today, Joel Tudor, who loves a bit of Ronaldo chat. How you doing, Joel? I'm good, thanks. Just not on this occasion, unfortunately. It's the worst time to talk about Ronaldo. Maybe if you would have called me 10 years ago, it might have been a bit more joyful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been like that for a while, to be fair. And Noel McCorn on the pod as well. How are you doing, now? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I mean, if you called Joel 10 years ago, you would have been, what, 15, 16, something like <laughs> and that? And you would have been, what, you know, the 20, glory 27, days, Joel. 28? that's more like Jim (laughs) I would have been 40 (laughs) in my heyday Uh, right let's crack on let's talk about Leicester City versus Forest it was the final game of the Premier League weekend last night we kind of expected it would be a lot closer than it turned out to be in the end Leicester City putting four past Forest but it was a done deal by half time really a really poor result for Forest last night Niall were they bad or were just Leicester City really unusually good (laughs) I think both Jim I think Leicester were fully deserving of the early lead that they got Uh, the two goals that they did score were goals of excellent quality I know it was deflected from James Madison for the first but the second goal from Harvey Barnes the finish was top into the corner Dean Henderson's a decent goalkeeper but he wasn't getting anywhere near it and then James Madison scoring a free kick and I saw the statistics and I think only Lionel Messi in the last five seasons has scored more goals from outside the box than James Madison. So wow. this is someone who can score set pieces and he can score from outside the penalty area. Um, Harvey Barnes, I think we all know his quality. It was a day where everyone in the blue of Leicester turned up. It was at home. They got into Forest early. They dictated the pace of the game. They dominated the ball. They created chances and they took their chances as well. And although a 4-0 scoreline is pretty damning of Nottingham Forest, I think we should give credit to, to Leicester City. I thought they were excellent on the night. They deserved their win and their key players stood up. 
You want your best players to stand up in the most important games. For me, Harvey Barnes and James Madison are two of, if not Leicester's two best players at this point. So I think that, you know, Brendan Rodgers should be really pleased with the way his side performed. When it comes to Nottingham Forest, I thought that the discourse after the game was really interesting. Lots of whispers and rumours now that Steve Cooper might end up being relieved of his duties as Nottingham Forest manager. What's worth remembering is this is not the side that Steve Cooper got promoted to the Premier League. Mm. It couldn't be any more different. All of the players that he's got in his squad now are not the players, apart from maybe one or two here or there, that got him promoted to the Premier League. He has basically had to work with the first eight games of the new Premier League season with a brand new team of players. That is not an easy thing to do. I don't care who you are or what sort of manager you are or whatever you've achieved in your career. Signing 20 plus new players and expecting it to be able to gel instantly in the hardest league in European football is not going to happen. It just is not going to happen. So I think that we need to caveat Nottingham Forest's current performances with that I also think that is there an is there a possibility that these 20 plus signings aren't of Steve Cooper's making mm. I'm sure that there are players in the 20 odd players that they've signed that he would have said oh yeah I'd definitely like to have him in my side but if you look at the team it reminds me of do you remember when QPR in the Premier League about 10 or so years ago when they signed Rio Ferdinand and they signed Park Ji Sung and they signed yeah, some yeah, other yeah. players who had kind of been there and done it, but they were a little bit kind of over under the Harry hill. Redknapp, wasn't I'm not it? under Harry Redknapp, yeah, and they ended up getting relegated. They had a decent team, QPR, on paper, but as the old cliche goes, you know, football matches aren't played on paper, and I think that it's a really hard thing to do to knit together a team in a pre-season when you've got that many new arrivals. I just think that. It can only be disruptive. It doesn't mean it isn't going to work out in the future. Maybe after the World Cup, Nottingham Forest might all of a sudden be a team and, and start putting some performances together. But last night, it looked to me like a manager who was struggling because of the task he's been given, the hand he's been dealt. It looked to me like a manager who hadn't asked for all these players to be signed. I'm sure that they're... I mean, I haven't looked into Nottingham Forest. I don't know how overseeing Steve Cooper is at the transfers. Is there a director of football there? I'm not sure that's something I'll have to look into, but definitely think that there are reasons why Nottingham Forest aren't performing at the moment and some of them are pretty obvious. Trouble is, in football, even if sometimes a situation isn't of your making, if it's not of your fault, it doesn't mean you don't end up taking responsibility for that situation and falling on your sword. And that could be the case for Steve Cooper if things don't improve for Nottingham Forest or even by the end of the day, potentially. Dean Henderson was one of the signings for Forrest that I think most people thought was a decent move, Joel. But, I mean, as Nar says, he couldn't do much for some of the goals. But he does look like a shadow of the player that played at Sheffield United. How much of that's down to his form? How much of it is down to the Nottingham Forest defence this season? Because, I mean, I don't care who you are. You shouldn't really be conceding a backheel from 20 yards out, should you? Yeah, yeah I think, especially for goalkeepers, you have to take accountability no matter what defence you have in front of you especially like the one you've just mentioned there's been a couple of them this season that he, he should have saved it but his positioning was poor or he just let himself down on an, an occasion where especially for Nottingham Forest if you're going to concede up to two or three goals it's lights out in the game isn't it really I was just so baffled at the start of the season his comments prior to even going to Nottingham Forest or just when he'd actually signed when he said that he's glad that he didn't go to training at United because Eric Ten Hag would have kept him straight away. Well, I mean, judging on these performances I've seen so far, I think mm. Ten Hag would have been justified to send him out regardless. Um, and Do you question his character on that basis? I mean, all goalkeepers are a little loopy, aren't they? <laughs> they say things <laughs> questionably... They say, they say things of questionable sense occasionally. But, I mean, he has made some snipes at Manchester United since he's moved on. Well, I mean, and when he's not you even go... properly moved on yet. He's on loan. <laughs> yeah, I know he's talking as if his contract's up at United, but when you go into a certain talks show host and talking about your current employers when you're on loan, I think it says quite a lot about your character, to be honest, rather than just getting your head down, working at your new club, with a lot to prove, by the way. You can't just be resting on your laurels of a season at Sheffield United, which was three or four years ago. And you feel as though you've still got the reputation warranted to just go in and be this commanding goalkeeper who deserves all this respect. You're only as good as your last game in football. And this is showing. And I don't blame all of it on him because 
with Nottingham Forest, I think it was just such a self-fulfilling prophecy of how they've gone about their business, which is, has a side ever, well, a side's never signed that amount of players, but it was never going, it was never going to be easy to bring together a nah. whole, not even just a team, a squad of players. 22 players you I feel like they need some kind of consulting group to help them gel together because that's a bigger <laughs> task than just a manager to get through you know all these different cultures personalities egos and they've only just met each other for the first time honestly that's that's a job bigger than the manager that I feel like they needed way more help sometimes I know Nottingham Forest fans are very adamant that that's what was needed because then they lost something like 16 players after promotion but sometimes i'm thinking could you not have dipped in the academy for a couple of players or invested in more youth rather than like niall said that kind of qpr sporadic approach of you know signing these kind of international players who are on the cusp of being pretty good they're the standout player in you know lons in france for example not the best i feel like they could have taken a different approach in my opinion I mean, they could have, uh, but at the same time, they did need to bring new players in. And I guess the question is how they got themselves in that situation in the first place. It's like they shouldn't have been in a situation where they had so many players leaving at the end of their contracts or leaving at the end of their loan periods at the end of a season. Because no matter what scenario they were in, whether they were coming up to the Premier League or staying in the Championship, that was going to cause huge disruption to that squad. And that's got to come down to the management of the team. It's got to come down to the ownership, the fact they weren't making those plans earlier. And I know they didn't know what was going to happen. I know they didn't know what division they were going to be in, so it becomes difficult to make those calls earlier. But it's still, it feels like there was a slight lack of forward planning for Forrest as a club in that scenario. In terms of Leicester City, it was a positive night, Niall. Brendan Rodgers said afterwards that it was a season-changing victory do you think that's the case or do you think it really comes down to the next few weeks? Because Leicester have got some reasonable fixtures coming up between now and the World Cup. And we keep on talking about this big winter break when all the players are going to go off to the World Cup. And it's really going to matter where teams are at that point, depending on how the rest of their season goes. Is that really the proof in the pudding now whether Leicester City can kick on from this big victory and pull some points back over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I guess the key is, Jim, there's no point beating a local rival 4-0 and not using the momentum to kickstart your Premier League season. And finally, a first win of the campaign for Brendan Rodgers' team. It's about time as well, because, you know, sitting with one point at the bottom of the standings, heading into the first international break, is pretty grim reading for a side with expectations like Leicester City. So to beat a local rival, as I say, in a derby match at home, when pretty much everything's at stake, it was a huge win for Leicester last night. And they won emphatically. They won by making a statement, by by winning 4-0. I think that that proves that there is quality in that side and it's just about bringing it all to the table at any given game. And if you look at the games they've got coming up, as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, they're all very much winnable for Brendan Rodgers. And I think he's absolutely right. It's basically him saying, without explicitly mentioning it, there is no point of winning this game 4-0 against Nottingham Forest if we can't use this to go and pick up more points because they're still in trouble. A win puts them on four points and that still puts them in trouble. You know, they're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. And there will be nothing more deflating for the Leicester supporters than to have beat Forest 4-0 and then go into the next game and lose it. Or, you know, putting a dis- put in a disappointing performance and then you're deflated instantly. You know, the air is let out of the balloon and immediately you kind of have to pick yourself back up and, and go again for the next one. And when you look at the Premier League, the games are never easy, but... The nature of any football division is that some will be easier than others. And in the next three or four matches, that is where Leicester City find themselves with opposition they are more capable of beating than in the first six, seven games that they had. So massive win last night for Leicester, but they have to build on it. I totally agree with Brendan Rodgers. Three points is just the start. And, you know, if you're going to win a game against your local rivals, a huge match in the context of the league table, then why not win it 4-0? And that should give them plenty to build off for the next game. But if they don't capitalise... Particularly if they get beaten, that would be uh, that would be a huge disappointment for Leicester. So they have to build on it. Brendan Rodgers will think himself safe in his job for another week at least. And actually, I've got to say, I was going to talk about the the fans that um, Nottingham Forest had at the ground who were singing Steve Cooper's name at the end of the match. So they haven't turned on him, but both sets of fans were excellent last night. I think Leicester City's fans helped lift the team on their performance by unfailing these massive 
banners reminding the team of their Premier League victory in the past and all that kind of stuff before the match. And so often we see teams that are in trouble, the atmosphere around a stadium turn poisonous very quickly. And it didn't happen at Leicester City last night. And I think that is credit to the fans. But as for the Forest fans, like I say, Joel, they were singing Steve Cooper's name at the end of that defeat, which is unusual to sing a manager's name after a heavy 4-0 defeat. But they've clearly still got faith in him as a manager. The ownership's a completely different question. Do you think there's a chance that he could be gone within the next 24 hours? No, I don't think in the next 24 hours because there's a big bulk of games to come this month where everything could turn around. I mean, we're at a stage of the season where a couple of wins in succession suddenly takes you up to 10th in the table and everything's rosy at your club again. It just changes the perspective quite quickly. So I think at this stage of the season, like I've said with Scott Parker, like I've said with Thomas Tuchel, sometimes it just comes down to a matter of perspective rather than being flippant. Unless you've completely planned ahead to a T exactly what you want to do in terms of sacking a manager, which in the terms of Leicester, it looks as though from the off, regardless of the results, they thought that he was the man to get him out of trouble and I still believe he will be. With Cooper, I'm sure that there's a massive amount of respect for him for obviously taking him up from the championship in God knows how long. But when you're giving someone 22 new players you have to kind of persevere with it as well because I think any new manager that comes in is going to have a similar issue which is he's going to have to find his best team out of 22 squad players that are new Mm. quite quickly because there's just relentless amount of games to come so I think for now it's okay because like I say one win suddenly takes them out of a lot of pressure but as I've been mentioning in the last few podcasts this World Cup is going to really skew things for a lot of clubs, I think, where if they're going into the World Cup uh, phase, the month where they're completely off the pace, then that will be the perfect time to start planning ahead because usually a manager gets sacked on the 5th of December and they have to plan for the next three games in the next week and there's just not enough planning time and it just all goes so quickly. So this is a very different season, I think, for sacking and changing. But I think it's going to take a little bit more for them to actually pull the trigger on that one. I saw this morning, by the way, Jim, that Rafa Benitez is being Mm. lined up to replace Steve Cooper, which would be a really interesting move because obviously how things worked out at Everton for Rafa Benitez wasn't the best and he's he's got Premier League experience as a manager, but it seems like even though Steve Cooper hasn't been sacked, that his days are numbered, unfortunately, even though the fans are behind him, like you say. But Rafa Benitez could be the one to come in and replace him, which would be very interesting. Yeah, it would be. I'm not necessarily, not necessarily sure it would be the right choice either. But it's the kind of choice that you tend to get like a, a wealthy foreign owner making, isn't it? They go, that's a big name. He can get us out of trouble. Well, Farhad Mashiri did that and it really didn't work, did it? So, um, Completely. I think he's definitely tarnished his reputation, Benitez, from his time at Everton. So he'd be keen to put that right and he's got a big job on his hands if he is to come in and replace Steve Cooper. But I do hope Steve Cooper turns it around. I like him. He's a likeable character. I think he's a good manager. I just think he's been given a ridiculously difficult job to do, not helped by the hierarchy at Nottingham Forest. But, you know, we'll see how it pans out. There's still plenty of games left to go. We're going to turn our attention away from the Premier League next to talk about the Champions League. Liverpool and Tottenham in action tonight. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Right, let's get stuck into the Champions League on Football Social Daily. Tottenham in action against Eintracht Frankfurt tonight and also Liverpool facing Rangers. That's where we're going to start. And it's always interesting when a Scottish club comes up against a Premier League club and Rangers are going to be right up for this, Joel. It's one of those classic opportunities, which rarely come off, to be fair, where Scottish football can compare themselves toe-to-toe with football south of the border. Usually that means the Scottish side, and it's all normally Rangers or Celtic, are up for the game and they put in a load of effort, but it rarely goes in their favour at the same time. Yeah, they need to strike while they're down at the moment. I think this is the best time for any team in the world to face Liverpool. I've just... I'm in, I'm not in shock because I think it was coming in the summer. I think everyone foresaw this coming, especially with the way 
in which Mane was lost and the midfield was so obviously lacking quality when you compare it to the main title competitors, Manchester City. And then you've seen it in the groups. I think the biggest and most telling turning point for Liverpool this season, the worst defeat has been that Napoli one. And that is purely because Napoli looked head and shoulders everything that Liverpool used to be, which was getting all the fundamentals right. Mm -hmm. And that 4-1 defeat, I think it knocked a lot of wind out of Liverpool's sail. And it's shown because they've only won three wins in their last nine games this season, which is so far off the pace. That's that's mid-table form compared to what they were doing in the last five, six seasons. Um, but they're under a lot. I think they go into this game with quite a lot of pressure because when you see the group itself, Ajax and are facing Napoli. I mean, you would expect Napoli to win, but they don't want to be finishing second in this group because there's a lot of good teams that are going to finish first in the Champions League this year, the ones that typically you would tip to win. And then when you get to the last 16, it's going to be an even more of an uphill task. And the way I see Liverpool at the moment, it just reminds me of the United Manchester United 09 season where you lose a key player and the board just doesn't reinvest in the way you need it to. And they don't fill that void where I'm not saying it's comparable to losing Cristiano Ronaldo during his near peak. But when you're losing a key player and bringing in the likes of Obertan and Michael Owen, there's a problem. When you're losing Sadio Mane and you're bringing in a very young and unproven striker who's going to take a long time to get into the <laughs> rhythm of things and you don't address the midfield, which is aging, you're going to have a problem as well because... Liverpool's style of play demands a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of pressing in midfield. And when you've not got that and when you've not got the legs for it, suddenly your team's not operating in the way in which you used to. And that's been the issue for Liverpool all season now. And f to be honest, I'm really not... I think they'll win tonight, but Napoli absolutely head and shoulders the best team in that group by a mile and probably one of the best teams in Europe at the moment by a mile. So the face of really uphill task. You say you say Liverpool's under pressure as kind of a team, but does it feel like Jurgen Klopp's under pressure at the moment? Because me, no, no one's questioning his future, and nor should they. Right now, I don't think it's nearly bad enough considering what he's achieved at that football club for fans to start questioning whether Jurgen Klopp is the right man to lead that team. But how bad does it need to get in terms of Premier League form and in terms of Champions League form for suddenly people to go, hang on? Do we need a fresh approach here? Because Premier League, they're kind of mid-table at the moment. They won't drop further than that, I don't think. They'll kind of climb or at the very least maintain that. Champions League, potentially they might slip out of the group stages. Would questions start to be asked no, then, Joel? I think Liverpool know that. They've, they've got an absolute gem on their hands. I think if anything, if anyone needs to finger point, it's at the people above him in terms of showing a little bit of ambition because I know Liverpool, they're a sell-to-buy club, which proves just how much of a amazing performance Klopp's done in the last six to seven years when you have mm. to compete against City who have money coming out of every single area of their project and then you have Liverpool who basically have to really invest in their recruitment to make sure it's absolutely spot on because any wastage money is going to feed into the next summer and the next transfer window. I think with Klopp and Alex Ferguson always used to say this, which is that every four years, you, it comes a time where you need to completely rebuild your squad and you need to have a fresh challenge, a fresh approach. And it seems at Liverpool, they're only prepared to do it in drips and drabs, where they're losing key players or players are really going into a decline. And it's taken them one or two years to replace them and it's not quick enough. And you've seen that in the midfield. Mm. But I think with Klopp, he knows that his hands are slightly tied behind his back because Nunez was not... The, it was not enough this summer put it that way and it, they're paying the price for it quite a lot and you could but I think the only time it would ever get to this kind of stage was the Mourinho 2016 I want to say where it just looked like he couldn't motivate the players anymore and it got to an absolute dire situation where that was the only solution but I think with Jurgen Klopp he's a one in a million for them and it would be complete, unless they started becoming that Chelsea side where there was absolutely no hope and he lost everyone, which I never see a, t a side doing under Klopp, then obviously that would be the case. But no, it's, it's a case of persevering. And I think this season, they're going to just, again, persevere with it. But next summer, the board really need to help him out because that squad does need a hell of a revamp, especially in the midfield.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Liverpool are in the best form, Niall. But Rangers are in atrocious form in the Champions League. Beaten heavily in both of their matches so far. So you'd imagine this wouldn't be too much of a problem for Liverpool. How tempted will Jurgen Klopp be to rest some key individuals? Because we've talked loads about the fixtures over the next few weeks. It is relentless. Domestic European, domestic European. You've got injuries in that Liverpool squad. You've got key players looking a little bit leggy. Do you think he'll maybe no, mix I don't it think up he will. a little bit? I think he has to pick a strong squad because, as you say, Rangers are in pretty poor form in the Champions League. They're currently second to Celtic in the Scottish Premiership. But this is you know, a British team versus a British team. And there will be absolutely thousands of Rangers fans at Anfield tonight and thousands more that have made the trip down to England to support their team. The pubs will be full of Scottish people. I can promise you that. Rangers follow fans follow their team in a way that, you know, is probably different to a lot of other English clubs. And they don't get into the Champions League very often. So for them... I don't think that it will be a a situation of we've been hammered in the first couple of games in the group stages of the Champions League. We're going to not have a go today. I think think Rangers will be bang up for this, by the way. I think this will be one of Liverpool's... I mean, Joel says Napoli are probably the best team in the group, and I agree. I don't think this will be as easy for Liverpool as people think. I mean, I might sit here um, and say that, and tomorrow the score might be 4-0 to Liverpool, but I don't think it will be a case of, um, you know, one of those games where you see... Premier League teams coming up against opposition from the lower European leagues where it's pretty much a formality. I think with the way things are with Rangers, they'll come and try and make it difficult for Liverpool. There's no doubt about it. They've got um, Antonio Cholak, their striker, who scored eight goals in eight Scottish Premiership games this season. He's the main man. He scored their goal against PSV Eindhoven to help them qualify for the Champions League group stages. So um, I don't think Jurgen Klopp can afford to rest players. I think that if they lose to Rangers, that's... um, that's pretty poor because a of the context of the group like what you said you know rangers have been beaten pretty convincingly in their opening two group stage games so if liverpool lose to rangers that's kind of embarrassing in a way but then again rangers are a club where on these big european nights they do bring a a hell of an atmosphere whether it be at ibrox or whether it be the traveling supporters and just generally the vibe around whichever city they're going to it is normally elevated a couple of notches when they're in town so i don't think jürgen klopp can afford to, to rest players and I don't know why he would we've just had an international break yes Liverpool were poor against Brighton but the best way to play yourself into form is by playing well and you can't play well when you're on the bench so I think that you need to kind of play yourself into form October is a massive month in the Premier League as you say domestic European domestic European is going to be the schedule for the foreseeable until the World Cup so Liverpool they have to get it together and the best way to be consistent is to play games on a regular basis and perform and it sounds like such an easy thing to do and there are a number of factors like Joel's already picked out as to why Liverpool aren't at their best right now but I don't think you can afford to rest players when you're not playing well I think they have to win tonight and I think it won't be easy against Rangers so I think he'll go for a full strength squad that sentiment that when you're in bad form you need to get out there and play the next game is exactly what Antonio Conte has been saying ahead of tonight's game for Tottenham in the Champions League. They travel to Eintracht Frankfurt for their next Champions League fixture. Once again, Niall, Spurs fans are asking, is this the season we finally get our hands on some silverware? If that is going to happen, could it be the Champions League trophy? Or will it be the Champions League trophy? I don't think it will be. And as much as it would be great to see Tottenham go deep into the competition again, it's one of those where I think it's just too soon for Tottenham. 
Um, if you look at a club like Manchester City, who are by far and away the best team in England at the moment, they are well ahead of Tottenham. Well ahead of Tottenham. Well ahead of Arsenal as well. And, you know, they've not won a Champions League. But that being said, the Champions League strange. We saw Chelsea win it a couple of seasons ago when they weren't the best team in the competition throughout the whole competition. We've seen that happen in the past as well, where other clubs have gone all the way through to the final. And you think, how has that happened? Real Madrid is a prime example. They lost to Sheriff Tiraspol from Moldova in the group stages of the Champions League mm-hmm. last season. They went on and won the whole thing. So, you know, these group stage games aren't always a great indicator of where clubs are at, because by the time May rolls around, it's very different to September, October. So I think that's worth bearing in mind. I mean, can you imagine if Tottenham break their trophy drought by winning the Champions League? It would be insane. So I can't see that being the case. I do think Antonio Conte's European record is suspect, and I think that that's got something to do with it. Um, Joel will tell you that, you know, he's uh, he's not really managed a team in Europe that have gone the distance. You know, his Juventus sides, I think they reached the last 16 a couple of times in a quarter final once, and they fell down. When he was the manager of Chelsea, they won the Premier League, but they stuttered in Europe and they didn't win anything in Europe. So um, I do think that that is one thing, if you're picking a negative about Antonio Conte for all the positives that he brings, his European record uh, as manager of Juventus or Inter Milan or Chelsea has not been up to scratch. And you'd argue that from what we've seen from him so far, um, it would be difficult for him to kind of put that right with Tottenham by going the whole hog and winning the Champions League. So they could win it because the Champions League is a funny competition where we've seen sides who haven't been at their best go on and win the title. Chelsea a case in point, like I mentioned from a couple of seasons ago. But Tottenham could end their trophy drought this season. I just don't think it would be the Champions League, unfortunately. How important do you think that European pedigree for a manager is, Joel? Because we see it the other way. As you say, Antonio Conte is he's not got the greatest European record. And then we see the likes of Unai Emery, for example, who is classed as a manager who knows how to win the Europa League. So how much impact does that have on a team going into these big games? Well, I mean, Di Matteo, he's one of the greatest European managers ever, if you put it that way. <laughs> Only had one season and won the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> they sacked him six months later as well. Yeah, he's, he's one for one. one. For one yeah. um, I don't know if it has a mental impact because I'm sure on the opposite side, let's say you went into it with Carlo Ancelotti, who has won the most Champions Leagues of any manager, you would probably have a little bit more belief than going in, into it with a manager who... You know, he's a little bit suspect when he comes to setting up his sides in the Champions League. I feel like he's a little bit too safe. I don't think he adapts enough compared to his opponent, which in the Premier League is okay. But when you're going into the Champions League against so many different systems and so many different styles of play, sometimes you do need to start changing your team around. And he's a little bit stubborn when it comes to that. And that's one of the reasons why Juventus have never got past the quarterfinal, despite such a talented side that they had. Um, But in their group, I mean, the last game was very suspect when I watched it. I thought um, Sporting Lisbon with a massively talented manager, Amarim, I hope he doesn't go to Wolves because I still feel like he's got work to do at Lisbon. But he is probably one of the most talented managers out there at the moment. And, And Antonio Conte got completely outsmarted by him in the last game. But on the positive side, and I know it might be quite doom and gloom for Spurs at the moment because they lost the North London derby a few days ago. They were really disappointing in that. But it's the first loss of the season with perspective. You know, 17 points from eight games in the Premier League is still an, a really good return. And in the Champions League, they've still got to play Eintracht Frankfurt and Lisbon at home. So you should or you would hope that they'd be able to guide through that group stage pretty easily. But, you know, like Niall was saying, the Champions League is a knockout knockout uh, tournament just in general. You don't have to be the best team in the competition to win it. As we've seen with the likes of, you know, these star-studded Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City sides who have not been anywhere near it. I know they got to the final, but in the final, they both completely fell short to a team which wasn't even the best in the competition. They just wanted it more on the day or they got absolutely tactically outsmarted when it came to the big occasion and for Spurs I know it doesn't statistically make them great with the fact that Conte has never been a a manager of pedigree in Europe and that's never going to give them a massive advantage but they do need to finish first in this group because I feel if they do finish second to Lisbon who are looking probably one of the better teams at the moment in that group 
I don't fancy them against the likes of Bayern Munich. I don't fancy them against the likes of Paris Saint-Germain. I don't fancy them against any of Europe's elite right now. Um, so I think it's massively important. I think they should be able to do it. But like I say, I saw his Juventus sides faltering in the group stages quite often. His Inter Milan sides faltering often in the group stages. So um, it's, it's all about who wants him more on the day in the Champions League. And some of these sides that they come up against, this is their bread and butter for the season. Whereas for Spurs, I don't think the Champions League is the prime motivator I know the FA Cup I think is a massive opportunity for them this season and obviously the Premier League I'm sure they want to get in that fourth place again How much of a challenge will Frank Vert be now? We saw him in the Europa League last season it's how they find themselves in the Champions League obviously they won that they put my team West Ham out of the Europa League Spurs are without Kulaveski still he's out with a hamstring injury picked up on international duty he'll be missed no doubt he was missed against Arsenal at the weekend but can Frank Vert cause problems? Yes, I think they can. I think that they're a side that are still just trying to hit their straps, really. They're sixth at the moment in the Bundesliga, um, but they got Football's a really good result on Saturday in the German League. They beat Union Berlin and even played the last half an hour with 10 men. Subscribe to the podcast now so you uh, never miss an weekend, episode. I think it still might be, actually. Union Berlin have been the, the top team in the Bundesliga. They've been leading the way ahead of Bayern Munich, ahead of Dortmund, ahead of any of the other clubs in the in the Bundesliga. Um, they've been leading the way and Eintracht at home managed to put them to the sword 2-0 and as I say, even played out the result with 10 men. Um, they've got some good players like Mario Goetze, for example, who is a World Cup winner, scored the winning goal in the 2014 World Cup for Germany against Argentina in the final. Um, dropped off a little bit in the last few years but he seems to have found his feet again at Eintracht Frankfurt so they've got some players who can hurt you and they can be dangerous and as you say they're almost an underdog club they're not really meant to be in the Champions League they're only in the Champions League by virtue of winning the Europa and as you say they beat West Ham last season and West Ham were in pretty good shape in Europe last season and probably have got better players if you put them side by side 11 for 11 so this is a club who are probably punching above their weight Frankfurt is uh, a funny old city. It's like the financial district, the financial heart of Germany. It's got one of the biggest airports in Europe. And the reason I'm spewing all these Frankfurt facts is because you don't think about it as a footballing city. And I don't think that's the case in Germany either. It's um, almost like, I don't know, Brighton, for example, in the Premier League. You don't think of Brighton as a, as a football city, whereas Manchester you do, Liverpool you do, London you do for what for whatever mm. reason. So, you know, I think there's an element of kind of the, the underdog story here with with Eintracht. So, as I mentioned, they're uh, they're doing all right in the German Bundesliga. Um, they'll give it a good go tonight. They got a really good result at the weekend. So, you know these these sides that you know you come up against in the in the Champions League, it can be a bit hit or miss. You know, for example, you mentioned Sporting earlier, Joel. They beat Eintracht three nil in the opening group stage game of the Champions League back in early September, um, and yet. A couple of days after that, Eintracht went and beat RB Leipzig 4-0. So it's it's one of those where, you know, at the weekend, they've just beaten the league leaders 2-0 and look pretty comfortable. But tonight they could get turned over. So I still think, as I say, they're a side just really yet to hit their rhythm. But they should be going into this one with plenty of positivity, I think. So, um, yeah, not to be underestimated. I don't think any side in the Champions League is. But all go into plan. Um, you, you should expect a... Uh, a comfortable outcome. I think Tottenham are well equipped to deal with Frankfurt as well. I mean, my knowledge of Frankfurt is based largely on the home and away legs from the Europa League last season, but where they looked most dangerous, it was on the break where they are fast and they are lethal sometimes in those attacks and Spurs because of their occasionally conservative way of playing. I think they're probably well equipped to not take those risks going forward that cause those spaces at the back so I'd back a Spurs win tonight which obviously means Frankfurt will win but that's my expert opinion for you right we're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo next he's never far away from the back pages and there's more stories circulating about his future at Manchester United we'll do it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily podcast. We'll be back later with Football Social Daily shots to wrap you up with any news you've missed along the way over the last few hours. But we're going to finish today on a bit of chat around Cristiano Ronaldo, who it sparked up again, the rumours around his future. He is said to want to leave Manchester United again in January after wanting to leave in the summer and then it would seem no offers were forthcoming to take him anywhere that he fancied going. But could we be up for another set of sagas around the transfer this summer? Come this. Let me do this whole bit again. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. The final bit of today's podcast is all about Cristiano Ronaldo and the circus surrounding his future at Manchester United. It sparked up in the summer. It sparked up again now. He could be off again in the January transfer window. That is the suggestion. Joel, as the Manchester United fan in the room, is Ronaldo worth this constant drama that seems to follow him around. He's basically replaced Paul Pogba. Is he just being a distraction to Ten Hag now at this point that constantly questions in press conferences are all around him as opposed to the team as a whole or the performances? I think he's managing it pretty well to be honest. I don't think, well I think one of the best parts of what he's been doing is he's not giving in to status and to ego and to what the press are basically thinking should ha- should or shouldn't happen. He's picking the side which warrants being picked and I don't think you can fault him for that. But when you have the biggest superstar on the planet in your side, of course, all the cameras are going to be on him while he's on the bench rather than on the pitch. Um, they're going to be running stories because that's, what's, what, that's what gathers attention. It's just logical. The only issue for Ronaldo, and to be honest, I kind of feel sorry for him because... He's been at the top of the top level, levels that we've never seen in football before for the last 18 years. And now he finds himself in a position that he's never found himself in before, which is that his body's caught up with him and he's no longer at the top level of football anymore, which is quite devastating because I feel like with these sorts of plays, it feels as though they'll never, ever decline. It feels like they'll just go on at this level forever. And... His games do need to be managed. This is the issue, and he just doesn't fit with what Ten Hag wants in a team. But then, when you watch Ten Hag's teams in the last few days and weeks, they still, they still not, there's still a lack of pressing. So I still feel like he has a role in the in the side. And when even when you look at last season, he scored what 23 goals in all competitions. I just don't get how he can still fall off in that short space of time. But it's not even just with United; it's with the Portuguese national side as well, where the manager Santos is having quite a difficult issue now because as we all know Ronaldo's the absolute king of Portugal and then in their national side it's almost impossible to drop him but the right thing to do at the moment is to drop him for someone like João Felix or any or Jota or anyone who can give a little bit of extra energy because at the moment he's for the first time ever I'm seeing a little bit of vulnerability in his character which is lacking confidence and I don't think he knows how to deal with this situation because, like I say, he's never been in it before and he's not getting the opportunities at the moment. So, honestly, if he goes in January, it's just a natural transition to the summer, which is that he's always maintained, not publicly, but through the reports that he's wanted to leave the club. And if that's the case, then in January, I think United will be happy to let him go because he's at an age now where time is really of the essence He's not going to get it back and he knows he's at the, the twilight of his career. Just in the same way, you know, Zlatan, he's still going till he's 40, but now his body's letting him down. And it's just it's just life, isn't it? I've not reached that stage yet, but I'm sure that it starts to wear and tear even when you Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but I still feel as though he's got a little role in the side, but it's whether he accepts that. This is the issue because he's been so used to being the figure man in the side, which he can no longer do at that kind of level anymore. 
This has largely come out of the Manchester derby, Niall. Obviously, it's been building for a while about his future, but there was a lot of narrative around him being on the bench at the start of the derby. That was dubbed disrespectful by some pundits. And then Ten Hag, speaking after the game, said he didn't bring him on when Manchester United were losing because it was due to respect for Ronaldo's amazing career. Did you kind of understand that thinking? Do you, do you get what Ten Hag was getting at there? Because I'm not sure I quite follow that. Yeah, I, I kind of see where he's coming from. I suppose Ronaldo wouldn't want to be associated with that sort of result. And let's face it, Cristiano Ronaldo was desperate to leave Manchester United because he didn't want to be associated with the Europa League. He's the man who scored the most goals in the history of the Champions League. He feels that that is his competition and Manchester United aren't in it. And I think that that's partly why he was angling for a move in the summer because he wanted to play Champions League football. I think he feels that he's better than the Europa League. Now, take that what you will, whether that's supreme confidence, whether he's earned that right, there's a debate to go on right through another podcast. But Eric Ten Hag is the manager. And as much as Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, should have been brought on in that game, because when you're 4-0 down, what have you got to lose? You may as well bring on one of the best goal scorers of all time. Why not? If not the best, you know, you've got him in your arsenal. Why not use him? Um, in the end, United managed to pull it back, if that's the right terminology, to 6-3. But I just wonder whether... You know, Cristiano Ronaldo is the sort of person who will be willing to to sit around and be on the bench. I don't think he is, particularly at his, his age. I feel like he needs to be playing games to stay fit. Um, and everyone talks about Cristiano Ronaldo and his fitness and how he's got an unbelievable physique and all of this stuff. He certainly does, but he didn't play pre-season. Let's not forget this. He didn't play a single... He played one game in pre-season and he played 45 minutes of pre-season. And Marcus Rashford, since he's been back fit, has been the preferred striker. Anthony Martial before him. So Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, by virtue of not playing in pre-season, is probably a little bit behind everyone else. That's not in terms of quality, by the way. That's probably in terms of fitness. And at 37, I think you need to be playing games in order to keep yourself match sharp. Is playing him against Manchester City the right idea? I don't know, because between the years, Cristiano Ronaldo is still sharp. And I think that's the key, that the mental side of playing Cristiano Ronaldo, much like Erling Haaland for Manchester City, is someone who is quite fearsome at the moment and a striker that you don't want to be defending against. Cristiano Ronaldo is probably the same, albeit not to the same effect right now. I think Haaland is, as everyone can agree, playing better than Ronaldo. But that gives something else for the City defence to think about. Not that the ball went up there much from a Manchester United perspective, but him just being in the ground, his presence, being on the pitch, that can make a difference. So mm. I'm not sure. I mean, I think the key thing here is Eric Ten Hag is the manager. Cristiano Ronaldo is a Manchester United player. And the manager's final word is final. And I think we've always heard this saying come out of Manchester United that nobody is bigger than the club. And there are times where sometimes you see these stories and you think Cristiano Ronaldo and all of the fanfare around him seems bigger than the club. Cristiano Ronaldo should not really be a talking point. Manchester United against Smash 6-3 is the talking point. But yet here we are, after the game, we're not talking about what Manchester United need to do to improve, how they can respond in the next game on Thursday night in the Europa League against Ammonia. We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and his future. He didn't even play in the game. I feel the same way about Harry Maguire. There was a tweet about him the other day of him allegedly smiling on the bench when United are losing. He didn't even play in the game. Yeah. Imagine if he did play in the game, the amount of stick he got. He's on the bench. He didn't even get on the pitch when Varane got injured. Ed Ten, Ten Hag decided to bring on Lindelof instead of Maguire. So Ronaldo and Maguire, he's protected both players by keeping them on the bench and they're still getting stick. So, I mean, I don't understand it. I think it's a lose-lose situation. So I understand what Eric Ten Hag's trying to say, um, but I just don't think there's no easy way out, particularly when you're a club of the profile of Manchester United and you lose in the way that they did. Um, I think it's hard to negotiate, hard to navigate and evidenced by the amount of reports we're seeing about something which really is not relevant to the, to the weekend's football. It's the perils of being a Manchester United player, isn't it? Manchester United still sell newspapers. They still get people clicking on their links. And when you combine Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo into one headline, it's clickbait galore. Here's a potential scenario for you, Joel. And I've been trying to work out where Ronaldo might go. And we always talk about what, who can afford him. I guess that kind of comes up to him because I don't think Manchester United are going to be demanding massive fees. It comes down to wages. Ruben Ummerin goes to Wolverhampton Wanderers as their new manager. And then Cristiano Ronaldo 
goes to Sporting Lisbon as their new player manager. I'm not quite sure how that works in terms of a player moving mid-season if they're going into a managerial role. There's probably a lot of rules and regulations around that. But is that a scenario you can see happening? And if not, where does he go in January? No, I don't think a player manager option would be the case for him. I think first and foremost, he just wants to be playing and he just wants to be in the Champions League. I do think one club, though, where everything's changed is at Chelsea. Whether that's United willing to actually let him go to a direct rival who, let's say Ronaldo, scored a vital goal, which got them three points into the Champions League, that would be absolutely a nightmare scenario. But it's the fact that Thomas Tuchel never wanted Ronaldo, even when Todd Bowley was kind of pushing for this, you know, this superstar statement signing. Now that he's got Graham Potter, and we know Graham Potter's never worked with superstars of that ilk before, I do feel as though he probably could be convinced way more than Thomas Tuchel. And I think in January, it will be a time again where they start contemplating whether it could be a reality. I don't think... Any other side in Europe has the funds, has the capabilities at the moment to even bring him to the club. As we've seen, Jorge Mendes was trying to ship him off to every single European side that were in the Champions League last summer and absolutely no one wanted him, which is a pretty sad state of affairs. I think it's more so because he demands such a high salary, but I think they're the most realistic. They're the ones that everyone knows has got the cash and they're in the Champions League, but... I mean, even still, he's going to have to play a bit part role there. He can't expect to be the main guy anymore at these top, top clubs. So it's a difficult scenario he finds himself in. But yeah, I don't think it really taints his legacy because, I mean, it goes without saying what he's already done in the game. But it was just a bit of a disaster, wasn't it, coming back to United? Because it was just the wrong time. It felt like a, a signing which was made just purely out of spite of Manchester City not being able to get him rather than does he actually fit what we're trying to do here? So, yeah, it's just gone in a bit of a strange scenario, but I do think Ten Hag is really putting the law down and saying, I'm the manager, whatever goes is my decision. No one gets in the side based on pressure on me or status or ego. It's whatever's best for the club and the team, and you have to respect that. Three months to go until the January transfer window rolls around. There is plenty of time for Ronaldo to turn things around at Manchester United and, of course, put in a leading performance at the World Cup and suddenly pique everyone's interest in him once again. So we will keep you up to date on the latest at Football Social Daily as always. That is it for today's podcast. Make sure you've hit subscribe so you never miss an episode or follow depending what the function is in your podcasting app and we'll see you for the next one. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. <laughs>